Welcome to today's Hubbard and O'Brien Economics Podcast. I'm Tony O'Brien. I'm a professor of economics at Lehigh University. Joining me today is my co-author, Glenn Hubbard. Glenn is Russell L. Carson Professor of Finance and Economics at Columbia, where he served as Dean of the Graduate School of Business. Glenn has also served as Deputy Assistant Secretary of the U.S. Treasury Department and Chair of the President's Council of Economic Advisors. How are you today, Glenn? I'm great. How are you? Doing well, doing well, hanging in there. I thought maybe we could start off today by asking about your current thoughts on how deep the recession is likely to be and how rapid a recovery we can hope for. So it's been about a month since state and local governments began first enacting social distancing policies. Has what's happened in the interim affected your thoughts on the severity of the recession? Well, I would say yes and no, Tony. And I know you've been you and I have been talking about this. I, I think that in one sense, the shutdown has the predicted effect. We're getting a very deep downturn in economic activity. We're seeing unemployment claims numbers that are in territory that no one can remember. We're seeing a fall in GDP that a variety of Wall Street economists would say it could be 30% or more uh, in the quarter. So definitely the severe shutdown part. I think what we're learning a little more about and thinking more about is what does the shape of the upturn look like? And there, I think people's thoughts devolve into levels and changes. So in levels, the, I would say the consensus forecast is it's probably a year and a half to two years before we return to the, let's call it February 2020 uh, level of economic activity. Stock market got out ahead of that, but probably not the real economy. The rate of change is a different story. Once we reopen, we probably will see significant rates of increase in economic activity, say in the third quarter of this year. And that's where the uncertainty starts to come in. Uh, will there be another round of the pandemic uh, as there was in the Spanish flu uh, of 1918? If not, we could probably expect a more robust recovery if yes, uh, there's definitely a problem. The other thing that shaped the recovery is policy. I would say both the government and the Federal Reserve have been far more active, far faster than most economists would have predicted, let's say a month ago, as we were starting the shutdown. So a variety, for a variety of reasons, I still think we're looking at a Nike swoosh recovery. And the top of the swoosh is going to take a little bit of time to get to. Yeah, there's been, as I think we have talked about, uh, you and I offline, um, some interesting work. There was a, an NBE, NBER working paper, National Bureau of Economic Research working paper. And for anyone listening who wants to go to the NBER site, they used to charge you to download a working paper unless your, your college or university had a subscription. But now the ones that are relevant to, to COVID, they've they made free, so you can you can take a look at them if you'd like. And there was a, a recent one by uh, Scott Baker of Northwestern, Nicholas Bloom of Stanford, Stephen Davis of Chicago, and Stephen Terry of Boston University, that looked at trying to quantify uncertainty. And so they look at things like stock market volatility, you know, what's happening to stock prices. They did an interesting search of newspaper articles looking for references to economic 
risks and uncertainty. And then they also looked at business expectation surveys. And so they've got a, a forecasting model they've used before to look at the effects of shocks. And they plugged this new measure that they've constructed into that model. And the results are pretty gloomy. This quarter doesn't look that bad. They've got a decline of 9% in real GDP in the current quarter, meaning the one we're in, second quarter of 2020, which it may even be lower than some other estimates. But they have continuing declines through the fourth quarter, where they have an 11% decline, fourth quarter of, of 2020. So they see worsening conditions rather than a rebound. They don't see a, a, a quarter of positive economic growth until the last quarter of next year. So that's a, a fairly gloomy forecast. And it, but to some extent, it, it seems to me that it could be ringing true because I think we've had the greatest increase in economic uncertainty in any of our lives that I can think of. I mean, I think you know, most of us go around saying, wow, we've never seen this before. I wonder what, what's likely to happen. And so it's the sort of time when you wouldn't expect people to think about, even once they're back at work, buying a house, buying a car, or now, if you run a business, probably not a good time to be investing in new machinery and robots and computers, uh, or maybe even in research and development. You know, you may want to hoard your funds. And we've seen a big decline in business startups recently. So that may also be an indication that people are kind of reining things in, waiting to see how how things will play out before they commit themselves to the kind of expenditure that you're, you're probably going to need if we're going to have a robust economic recovery. Well, I'm, I'm more optimistic than that, although I, I think that the sign is right uh, on the argument. And it is a good paper to, to go look at. And it's reminiscent of work actually going back to studying the Depression by Ben Bernanke and others and Bernanke's own work on uncertainty and consumption and investment. It's worth taking a, a step back and you know, reminding ourselves the difference between risk and uncertainty, that risk is about a distribution where we can figure out probabilities and moments of a distribution. Uncertainty is we don't even know what the distribution is, and that's what's truly scaring people. The reason I put it that way is to clarify things for business leaders, it strikes me that we need to do a couple of things. One is in the health side itself, were there to be medical innovations, and I'm not talking about a vaccine, it may take a year, but a medical innovation that would simply take some of the far tail of outcomes off, i.e. being very sick at home without going to a hospital and being intubated, and I think that's more likely based on what I see uh, in the next several months, that could reduce uncertainty. I think policy needs to reduce uncertainty. Right now, if I were a business leader, I could be looking at a variety of potential outcomes for for regulation, for the evolution of policy, the sooner that's smoothed out, the better. So yes, uncertainty is going to be troubling, but I think there are things that we can, we can do about it. So I, I do think we will see a recovery. My point in my initial remark was simply, it may be slower than a lot of people like. The notion that this is simply like a light switch going off and on, the classic V-shaped recovery, I think that's really unlikely. 
Yeah, you, you mentioned the, the therapies, and certainly one of the striking things about the stock market has been how it's kind of bounced up and down recently, depending on rumors of either um, promising trials of new drugs or poor trials of new drugs. And it, it's clear that the stock market itself is trying to um, is, is trying to figure out what's likely to happen. And one of the things that is it's all dependent on is can we get some therapies that at least make this more of a bearable illness and reduce the death rate and make people think, well, if I get it, there's an effective therapy that will make it um, uh, not life-threatening. And to that point, getting more testing. Uh, It's a little odd that in a nation that put a person on the moon, we're struggling with the number of test kits that involve swabs and other things. So we need to do a lot better there. And I think once the public has more confidence, uh, then the uncertainty dissipates a bit. I mean, the, the real issue to me has is, is never been sort of how long is the official lockdown, what do governors say or mayors, but more what do individuals say? Do I feel safe going to work? Do I feel safe going to a store, taking public transportation? That's the wild card. And testing and therapies will really help with that uncertainty. And one other point you mentioned about um, the Great Depression that just popped into my head that, as you know, there was a time in which the stock market crash was considered to be the key event of the Great Depression. And people would date it from then, from October 1929, even though economists say, well, the economy had actually begun to turn down in August. Uh, but then there was kind of a, a backlash against that among economists saying, well, you know, if you look at the We've had other declines in wealth similar to what we saw in late 1929, didn't have that much of an effect and so on. But then Christina Romer wrote a very interesting paper, um, Christina Romer at Berkeley, who was um, chair of the Council of Economic Advisors under President Obama. She wrote an interesting paper in the Journal of Economic History some years ago, people might want to take a look at, in which she said, well, it wasn't so much the destruction of wealth or any direct effects from the stock market crash, but that it greatly increased uncertainty, that it was widely publicized and people said, oh my God, I don't know quite what this means, but I think it means I shouldn't buy a car and I shouldn't buy a house. If I'm a company, maybe this is not the time to build that new factory that we were thinking of. Let's, let's wait six months. And so it was a similar sort of dynamic that something happens that people hadn't experienced before and they kind of pull back waiting to see can you get more information before you stick your neck out with a big purchase? Well, of course, one difference is in those days, we didn't have um, nearly the robust government intervention that we're seeing right now. So I do think the income smoothing that we're seeing for firms and for households will help. But I, I can't deny the uncertainty is a big factor for each of us as individuals and certainly for small business people and even for CEOs of large businesses. There was one other thing that I thought might be worth mentioning, and it's another new series, a relatively new series that's come out. It's, um, it, it's through the New York Fed, and it's called the Weekly Economic Index, WEI. Yes. And it's put together by uh, James Stock of Harvard, uh, Daniel Lewis of the New York Fed, and, and Carell Mertens of the Dallas Fed. It's on the New York Fed website, but Fred our old faithful um, data site at the St. Louis Federal Reserve has begun 
uh, posting it as well. So interested people can go to the Fred site. It's fred.stlouisbed.org. And it's interesting, in some ways, it's kind of a throwback to the way that um, uh, economists used to study business cycles back in the 20s and 30s when we didn't have these ready-made government series on, um, on GDP. Of course, the government, federal government wasn't collecting that data. Uh, we didn't have the regular monthly employment reports that everybody picks over so carefully. And there was a lot of that data that we didn't have. And so the people, particularly at the National Bureau of Economic Research, who were doing this, the, this um, research on, on business cycles, they had to pick up what they could find. You know, they had some things on retail sales and, you know, how many freight cars are being loaded up and, you know, how many checks are being cleared in certain banks and so on. And after World War II, when we got the more familiar series, a lot of that, those data were not really um, much looked at anymore. But one of the interesting things about this WEI, Weekly Economic Index, is that it, it goes back to that, that kind of um, data because a lot of it is available weekly. And whereas many of the other series like employment are available only monthly. And if as in a time like this, where you're sort of looking at, okay, you know, what, given the data we got right now, what is my best guess of what's going to happen? That's effectively what they're doing. They're, they're going back, they're taking re, same store retail sales, initial claims for unemployment insurance, which come out weekly, uh, weekly production of raw steel, uh, railroad traffic, uh, weekly electric utility output. And so what they've done is they've come up with a forecast of real GDP. So essentially they're using weekly data and saying, given how this weekly data has been related to GDP in the past, can we say with the last week's data, what is happening to real GDP now. And their, their most recent number, of which they released yesterday, has a forecast of real GDP declining in the current quarter at about 11%, 11.7%. So, you know, it's not, not the worst um, estimate in terms of uh, how large it is. Uh, but I thought it was particularly interesting because if instructors and students want to, they can actually track week by week on the Federal Reserve site what this forecast is doing and what it's potentially telling us about what we're likely to see with real GDP. I, I think it's a great point. In fact, early in my career, I did a lot of work on late 19th century, early 20th century business cycles using data like pig iron production and, and, and other proxies. And I think it's not just about what it says about forecasting GDP. It gives you a real-time look at what is actually going on in the economy. And we know that GDP data get revised a lot. And at turning points, that can be hard for business leaders and for policymakers. These data less so. So it, it's a very good thing. And yes, it goes back to the old turn of the 20th century to 1920s, 1930s uh, NBER studies, which I'm proud to say were actually done at Columbia University, where I teach. <laughs> yeah, I actually read through some of those as a graduate student years ago, because uh, they have a lot of detail on what's happening in the economy. If you look at some of those old NBER studies that 
And, and partly they were forced to do that because they didn't have the kind of ready-made series uh, that we have today that you can download from um, one of the federal government sites, the Bureau of Economic Analysis or so on. But it does get into kind of the nitty gritty. And it also gets into um, how recessions can differ from each other, how different sectors can be affected differently. Okay, well, that I think was a, a interesting discussion of where we are as of now, what we think is likely to be happening in the economy. And why don't we close at this point? And I'll thank you, Glenn, and well, mention you. to the listeners that if you're listening to this podcast through the link on our blog, you know where we are. But if you found us some other way, then you may want to check out our new blog. It's at hubbardobrieneconomics.com. And we've already posted a number of updates related to the pandemic. We'll have new posts at least every few days. So please check back or you can subscribe and then you'll receive an email from us anytime we posted something new. So thanks again to everyone for joining us for this conversation. We look forward to connecting with instructors and students again on a future Hubbard O'Brien Economics podcast. Please stay safe.